I had a couple, dear friends who live in Northern California, and they invited me to come and visit them. And I remember when I went there, and after, after suffering these, these losses, one day my friend, the wife, she said to me, so Andrea, what do you like? What do you like? What, is, what really floats your boat? You know, what's your passion? And I just looked at her blankly and I said, I don't know. I heard myself say that and I realized I really had lost myself. Hey everyone, I'm Jana Panaritis and this is the AgeWise Podcast. What happens when caregiving comes to an end and you're no longer on call 24-7 for the person or persons you once cared for? Today's guest faced this predicament after 10 years of caring for her parents, both of whom had dementia, and a brother severely injured in a car accident. We last spoke with Andrea McMillan in May of 2016, and if you missed that episode, go back and give it a listen. I know you'll enjoy it. It's episode 46, titled The Star Thrower. Back then, Andrea shared her experience of caring for her parents and her older brother. Her father died in late 2012, her brother in January of 2013, and her mother in March of the same year. After attending three funerals four months apart, Andrea's caregiving abruptly came to an end, and she woke up to the realization that she was no longer responsible for her parents and her brother's well-being. How did she rebuild her life after a decade of caring for the lives of three family members? Jamaica-born attorney Andrea McMillan joins us from her home in West Palm Beach, Florida, to talk about life after caregiving. Andrea, welcome to the AgeWise podcast. Thank you, Janet. It's a pleasure to be with you once again. So for listeners who didn't hear our 2016 interview, I'll just say that you came with your family to the U.S. from Jamaica when you were just 10 years old. During the interview, you said that when you arrived, you felt like, quote, a stranger in a strange land. I'm wondering if you had that same feeling when you emerged from 10 years of high-speed caregiving and woke up in the land of non-caregivers. What was that like when you suddenly woke up to that? Well, your characterization of uh, being a stranger in a strange land post-caregiving is spot on. Everything came up to an abrupt end, my caregiving, that is, because as you mentioned, I lost my parents and my brother within a four-month period. And for 10 years, my identity was primarily as a caregiver. I mean, I was a mother, I was a wife, but being a caregiver was my primary mission, that's how I wanted it to be because my family's needs were, were quite frankly, my priority. And, and that of my child, you know, my family too. But my parents really had acute and my brother had acute needs that I was quarterbacking um, and also giving a lot of hands-on care. So when I lost all three of them in a short period of time, I really lost my identity as a caregiver. And I was lost. I was lost in the ensuing months and even... You know, I have to say for probably a few, you know, a couple years after that. And and then also, you know, on top of it, having lost them, I was dealing with grief and trying to adapt to my new world of not having them around. And, you know, many people who don't have family members afflicted with dementia or what have you, or even some that do, they feel mixed feelings of relief not having those caregiving responsibilities anymore. Mm-hmm. But also there's a, you know, a strong sense of loss, which I certainly felt. This is just my experience, but mm-hmm. I took great comfort in having my loved ones still 
to still alive, you know, the fact that I could still see them. Yes, you know, my mother no longer recognized me and couldn't talk to me, but I was just, I was happy to still have her here and touch her, be able to comb her hair mm-hmm. and, you know, just love on her. And so losing her and losing my father and my brother, you know, as I said, I felt a deep sense of loss of them on top of the loss of my identity as a caregiver. Uh And I had caregivers helping me with them, and they too left, of course. Right. They, you know, they were, that need ended. And so life as I had known it for 10 years came to a halt, and um, I had to rediscover who I was. When you lost the last family member, were you even really aware of what you'd lost in terms of your identity? No. Uh No. Because in the aftermath, in the immediate aftermath of losing them, I was still thinking about things like their funeral services, all of the practical things, Mm -hmm. you know, going through their their possessions. Uh Yeah, all of those task-oriented things that I had become accustomed to. I was accustomed to ticking things off the list and Mm -hmm. um, getting people to appointments and these kinds of things. And to some extent, for for a while, I still had those things to do, like going through their things and making arrangements. Of course, practical things like the hospital beds that my parents and my brother slept in. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to donate their equipment. One of the things that I struggled with for quite some time was because my identity had been wrapped up in caregiving and with them and my love for them for so long that it became sort of hard to part with things like their hospital beds uh-huh. and the equipment that they that that they used because it represented them yeah. in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I called in a particular agency, for example, to come and retrieve their hospital beds, I was very torn up inside. Mm. I know that these beds can be repurposed. There are other people who need these beds, but these were their beds, and they lay, you know, they lay in these beds for so mm-hmm. many years. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt, you know, conflicted inside. And again, I guess that's a part of the mourning the loss. So again, to answer your question, for a long time, I had to deal with the practical consequences of losing them, taking care of the details. But I didn't realize on a deeper level what I had lost. One of the things I think is important is to, if possible, at when life after caregiving ends, is to physically get away if you can. Uh-huh. And, and it's to give you more perspective. But just time to recover and to just exhale, really. In my case, I had I had a couple, a uh, husband and wife, a dear friend who live in Northern California, and they invited me to come and visit them out in Marin County, and I remember when I went there, and after after suffering these, these losses, one day my friend, the wife, she said to me, "So Andrea, what do you like? What do you like? What is what really floats your boat? You know, what's your passion?" And I just looked at her blankly, and I said, "I don't know." I heard myself say that, and I realized I really had lost myself. And I remember walking. Not to sound too dramatic, but I remember walking, you know, the streets of Mill Valley where she lived in a very cute little town, but I was just sort of lost, you know. I'm like, mm-hmm. really, who am I? What, you know, what do I like? And it took me quite a while to rediscover who I was. I, I'll be honest with you and tell you initially, I thought that that was my life. That was going to be my life post-caregiving. 
I had worn, not very proud to say this, but I had essentially worn the same few clothes for many years, mm-hmm. and I had no interest in having an extensive wardrobe being properly done up and made up, and mm-hmm. had not been important to me for, for many years, but I thought that that's who I was at uh-huh. that point. I could not even conceive of, like, you know, going shopping and having nice makeup on, because that wasn't who I was, and I had not been that kind of person for many years. So um, hmm. later on, I discovered, you know, that I morphed into somebody else. What would you say to listeners whose caregiving has newly ended and who are facing similar questions, like, where do I go now and who am I, just from your, based on your own experience? Well, for me, journaling was very important in terms of writing down how I felt, um, what I've been through, because it was traumatic. It's post-trauma, just like any kind of huge stressor. As a caregiver, especially a long-time caregiver, you've sort of been, been through the ringer. And so in order to clarify or crystallize my feelings about myself and what I've been through, I started journaling. And so that was very useful to me. Mm-hmm. Getting physical exercise was an enormous help. I had a had a background. I just I used to like to run and had done so for many years on and off. But certainly during my ten years of caregiving, I didn't I didn't do any of that. Now, could I have run sometimes? I'm sure I could have, but it didn't even occur to me <laughs> uh-huh. because I was so intently focused on meeting every need of everybody who, in my family who needed me. You know, my and and, the, and these were great. You know, um, mm-hmm. I sometimes look back and wonder how my caregiving experience would have been different had I taken some more time out for myself. But again, physical exercise turned out to be very helpful to me in terms of, again, releasing stress, being outside. You know, I think being out in nature was was very useful in terms of seeing the simple, beautiful things, you know, a bird, the sunrise, these kinds of things that you might have missed when you're inside caregiving. Yeah, you start paying attention to those things again. So I think that's very useful. Socializing with others is important, although I have to tell you that people try to sort of hurry me along in terms of laughing and being joyful uh, at a time when I wasn't ready. Hmm. And so I had to really sort of reintegrate myself into society at my own pace when I felt comfortable. And it's just a matter, I think, of being honest with yourself. You know, there were times where my friends were getting together for dinner and I still was mourning or Mm -hmm. wanting to be by myself. And so I honored that need that I had. And much to my surprise, I mean, it took took some years, but, you know, I became quite sociable again, welcoming that kind of interaction. Yeah, that's great. Well, Andrea, did your sense of who you are change based on your caregiving experience? Most definitely. I mean, when you go, when you care for somebody and help them with the very basic things in life, activities of daily living, feeding and so forth, it certainly changes your perspective about life. One of the takeaways I think that I have from it is, is that having been through some very tough circumstances, it allowed me to discover that I'm quite resilient. Mm -hmm. I'm a resilient person, and that resilience can carry me through other tough situations. In my particular case, I was present when two of my family members, my brother and my mother, 
took their last breath. Mm-hmm. And when you are there for that kind of moment, mm-hmm. and I was there by myself, it's quite profound. And so when you have dealt with that type of profound, and it doesn't have to be quite that profound, even holding your loved one's hands and, you know, the, the kinds of things that you deal with, it allows you to feel strong and courageous and capable of handling other things that get thrown your way as you as you move along. I remember when my father passed away, and I hope it's not too graphic, but um, I remember when they, the mortuary came to claim his body, and I was I decided I, would, I wanted to help them, like put his body in his bag. And I, I think back to those kinds of things, and I think, wow, you know, if I can do that, then I mean, I didn't have to do that. It's a choice I made. Right. But the point is, when you do something like that, it gives you a certain type of strength that makes you feel capable of handling other curveballs that life may throw you. Along yeah. The way. When you were going through the experience of caring for your parents and your brother, did you ever imagine that it would end? Honestly, I was too afraid to think of. I think, and that looking back, as I was going through the process, I, I understood, of course, intellectually that right. it would end. Right. But I was too chicken, I was too afraid to think about how that would make me feel, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think it was more self-protective that I didn't allow myself to, quote, go there. So I, I, yeah, I didn't think about how I would handle it. But surprisingly enough, when it happened in the immediate aftermath, I was quite methodical, I think, about planning services and eulogizing everybody. I remember thinking, you know, okay, I'm going to sit on my computer and write a eulogy and and then I, you know, and then I, I have to write another one, and then another one. Yeah. And looking back, it was crazy, you know, but those are the circumstances that, with which I, I was confronted, and I had to do what I had to do. But it was after that, you know, that, again, I had this feeling of uh, of being quite lost, and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, here's kind of a existential question, but I would really love mm-hmm. to get your take on it. As a yeah. caregiver, much of my time is dedicated to filling my mother's needs, you know, like yeah. the need to pay her bills or schedule yeah. or uh, take her to a medical appointment. And so I know my experience of time is different than a non-caregiver's. And I'm wondering, how has your sense of time shifted from the before and after of caregiving? And how did your experience of time change in those empty spaces afterwards? How did you experience time? To be very candid with you, Jen, I'm still grappling with the concept of time uh-huh. as we speak. Of the, you know, it's a new year, and it's funny that you should ask that question because time is one of my big uh, words for the new year. I decided for 2018 mm-hmm. in terms of managing time. To answer your question, I've heard it said, I think it was Oprah, somebody said, you know, how you spend your time says who you are. And so during my caregiving time, who I was was a caregiver. And so everything I did essentially related in some way to caregiving. My time was spent caring for others. So as you point out, you know, the doctor's appointments and all of those things were important. Caring for my child was important and and all of these things. Um, But it all focused on caregiving. And now... I'm still adapting, to be honest with you, on how to apportion my time in other ways because there is a big, there's this big void. You probably have more free time, right? (laughs) I have more free time. I have more free time. But 
I still struggle in how to manage everything. I'm a, I'm a mother. Yeah. Um, but I do have recreational pursuits now, mm-hmm. and I do have a social life now. And I have to tell, I'm nobody, no one's more surprised than I am that, those <laughs> came, that I have those pursuits because in the aftermath of caregiving, I, I didn't know I'd be running again, and I didn't, you know, know I'd enjoy socializing so much. But in terms of divvying up my time, I, I still I still struggle with it, you know, like, like a lot of people do. I think when you're caregiving, you're very programmed. You're so structured that yeah. when you're, I can't, I'm not there yet, but I can imagine that when you're no longer doing those things, you know, the structure of your day is suddenly really wide open for the taking, not to discount the fact that you have to go to work and do the pra- practical things, but... Correct. Correct. You're so programmed as a caregiver to do Mm -hmm. bam, 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 bam. Mm -hmm. You know, now that you say that and and phrase it that way, I think I could use some more structure in my life because (laughs) I used to have all that structure, you know. Uh And in certain areas of my life, I crave that structure even now, four or five years Mm post-caregiving because Mm -hmm. it gives me stability and a sense of where I need to be at what time and so forth. And it's it's an adjustment and it's something I still struggle with. Yeah, you know what your life is about when you wake up every day, what you're going to do. So that's comforting, I think. I remember when we talked before, you talked about people Mm -hmm. quote nodding politely when you mentioned caring for your parents I'm wondering do you talk differently about caregiving now do you talk about it more do you feel like there's still fear in even talking about it you know this this whole thing and meaning my experience post caregiving has been an evolution Jana Mm. I would say in the months following my caregiving experience, it was easier to talk about caregiving because it was the experience that I had just gone through, you know, so Mm -hmm. the details and everything were very fresh in my head. And I was (laughs) preaching about, you know, to my friends about doing hands-on care or or at least taking care of their loved ones and not institutionalizing them if they didn't have to and this kind of thing, you know. And again, not everybody's able to do that, but and it's still something I feel strongly about. But the details of my caregiving were quite fresh in my mind. And I wanted it that way, you know. I I was just quite convicted about it and could share the details. But I have to tell you, much to my surprise, as the months went by and the years have gone by, the specific details of the caregiving have sort of faded in in my mind, you know, which is something I feel ambivalent about. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. When I was caring for my family, I did so with the help of some really wonderful women, you know, who were hired to help take care of my folks at home. Mm-hmm. And I would require them after each shift to write a report for me about how they how my 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 loved ones did on that shift you know mm-hmm. like uh you know who ate and how much and with these kinds of details mm-hmm. caregiving mm-hmm. and i i would have these women do so on on a, on a legal pad just uh-huh. as a law- i'm a mm-hmm. lawyer yeah and so i have you know many probably 15 of these legal pads all filled with these notes and i just i don't want to get rid of them huh. you know interesting and it's because I don't want to forget. It's not like I re- I have reviewed them a lot. Okay, I haven't. But the thought of just disposing of them makes me feel like I'm disposing of the details of that part of my life. Uh-huh. And I now realize it's important to move on. Actually, I think time time just 
in and of itself, just by its very nature, will make you move on. Yeah. You know, that's that's what I, that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I, have I totally forgotten the details? No, but I, I think I'm going to hold on to those legal pads mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. anytime I want to feel close to that caregiving experience, my loved ones, mm-hmm. I, I can I can look at them if I have to. It's just a little thing that I have about holding on holding on to them and in their clothing and some of it that they wore when they were ill yeah you know pajamas and things like that yeah personally you know okay so it's not like i keep i've kept all of their things but some select things i've kept so some of the fine details my mind has let go of them or maybe they're tucked in the inner recesses of my brain i think that's what's in my memory that's what's really happened but Mm -hmm. um I think to allow myself to move on a little bit, my psyche has tucked them back there Yeah, to allow me to sort of evolve into a, a different life. Uh-huh. Did you feel like you didn't want to talk about it at all at a certain point? What happened to me was a number of my friends started to undergo similar things with their parents. Mm-hmm. And they would ask me, they would ask me questions or, you know, ask me for advice and, you know, know that I had this experience. Mm-hmm. And so I would talk about it to that with them to the extent that they felt they wanted my advice or whatever. I would offer it to them. But yes, I found over time I talked about the specifics a lot less. And even the, the just general experience of caregiving, I talked about a lot less. And then I had to decide, you know, there was a time where in terms of advocacy, for caregivers and things like that, you know, I had to decide how much am I going to advocate or sign petitions or what have you mm-hmm. on behalf of caregivers because, you know, I'm no longer one and it's very painful, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, to sort of relive the whole thing. Yeah. But I think it's important to reach back and help other people who are caregivers or who will become caregivers because, again, there's no question that this is one of the big issues that we face and will face even more as a society as, you know, we we have the graying of the population. So it's important to continue advocating. Mm -hmm. You touched on how your social life had changed, which is wonderful. I wondered if your relationships with your friends changed. Sometimes friends drift away during caregiving and sometimes they don't. I'm wondering if and how any of your relationships with your friends changed? Absolutely. I had a few close friends while I was caregiving, meaning that there were a few that I confided in. Not not a whole lot of details, because not everybody can relate. You know, there, there, I remember a few times, for example, when I had two family members in two different hospitals at the same time, and yeah. I'm like, can you do this for me? Can you help me out? You know, like, you know, watch my kids for a while or something. And they, their eyes would become as big as saucers, and that would, like, stress me out. Yeah. And so I decided not to share unless I really needed to, you know, some of the details with people who were not in that situation. I did not socialize very much. I'm sort of one of these people that sometimes has trouble walking and chewing gum at the same time. So I don't know that I could have had the healthy social life that I do now. At the time I was caregiving, it's kind of to me, from just for me, it's hard to kind of reconcile those two people, meaning that hmm. there came a point where I started to laugh again and feel joy again. How long did that when take? I, well, I'd say maybe a year and a half uh-huh. or two years, yeah. you know, that I allowed myself. Now, others might allow themselves sooner, but for me, it took that at least that amount of time for me to give myself permission mm-hmm. to enjoy again, mm-hmm. to enjoy again, you know. And so 
I don't know that I could have had a, like, you know, a rip-roaring good time with my friends and then, like, come home and, like, bathe my mother and, you know, and, sure. and look at her. I don't know, you yeah. know? But one of the things I wanted to um, to share is that not everybody's religious or whatever, but there came a point where I was, I started thinking about the 23rd Psalm, and there's a, there's a line in there that says, He restoreth my soul. And that's, I think, what this is all about, restoring your soul. After you go through caregiving and just giving of yourself so much that your soul often needs restoration. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of time that takes time and it takes being patient with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I know that your faith is a really big part of your life and that that it helped you through your caregiving experience. And no matter what you believe or what you believe in, you know, it's an incredible tool. I hate to be that crass, if you will, about it. But I do think that there is a great advantage to folks who do believe in something, a faith of, some, of, of any kind, really, whatever helps you. Yes, you're cor- you're correct. My my faith has always been very important to me. It, to be honest with you, it's it has sustained me through the whole experience, the whole ten years, and well, even before. But it was certainly integral to my being able to come through the other to the other side of caregiving. Mm-hmm. And to this day, my faith serves me. Um, I remember. You know, after losing my family, I remember going to church and just sort of staring and feeling that I had a very heavy heart with everything, the loss and the and the, and the life after caregiving and all of that. But you know what? I was in church this morning, and now I feel, I feel joy. I feel like I'm in a, in a different phase of the journey. I'm not always joyful. Nobody is. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely, life after caregiving is definitely an evolution, just like any other phase in life, you know, or any other thing in life. It's change. Mm-hmm. What do you yes. think is the hardest part? about life after caregiving? And what's the best part? The best part might be rediscovering yourself. One of the things that happened to me is, like I said, I took up running again, and right. I had basically forgotten that I, that I was a runner. I was, you know, I never entered races or whatever, but I knew I had been running since middle school, like I said, on and off. And I knew I enjoyed running, but I was certainly deconditioned having not run for years. But, like, one of the best parts for me is that I started on a lot, just like, you know, I ran one 5K, and then before you know it, I was doing really well in races and being like the grandmaster, you know, in races and things like that. Yeah, and so I've become like a pretty strong runner, so I'm told. And so that's been a really, really like a shock. Uh And most people don't know my caregiving story. I have not shared it with, um, like, my I belong to a running club that I really enjoy. Hmm. And sometimes I run with them and race with them. We have a lot of, you know, good times and so forth. But I have not shared, not with a single person, my life before all of that. And why is that? I guess nobody's asked, Hmm. you know. But I have to tell you, between you, me, and your listeners, (laughs) that my caregiving has been a huge part, I think, of my success running. And Hmm. meaning, once again, is that when you have, you've been at the brink of very stressful situations of your loved one choking during the night or coughing a lot or getting hospice on the line or, you know, being there when they take their last breath. When you have these kinds of experiences, 
it forces you to dig deep, okay? Yeah, yeah. To dig deep. And when I'm running, I dig deep. Uh-huh. And I specifically remember now that you, now that we're talking about this, I remember my first couple of races, you know, I would distinctly as I was running, I would think about my, my parents and I would think about my brother, mm. you know, my brother was paralyzed and he couldn't walk, but I can run and I'm going to run this race for him. And so I had these kinds of thoughts. I don't do that anymore. Now I think of other things or maybe nothing when I'm running. But the point is that's been the, one mm-hmm. of the best parts, rediscovering your loves and your talents and these kinds of things. Let's see, the worst part... Or the hardest part. The hardest part. Yeah, the hardest part is, again, sort of restructuring what we talked about before, time. Uh Uh-huh. Restructuring your life, putting it back together. One of the other things that was challenging immediately after caregiving, when I decided that I was sort of going to start paying attention to what was going on in the world again, the news and the, you know, just pop culture or whatever, it was like coming out of a coma. Yeah. It really was. It was like coming out of a coma. Yeah. I was on Facebook. In fact, I just recently got on like about almost a year ago, you know, in mm-hmm. 2018. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, everybody else has been doing this. <laughs> and, and so I had to relearn. And sometimes people would look at me like, like, really? Like, you didn't know that? And the answer is no, I didn't because I wasn't focused on any of that. I really had to uh, re, it was emerging, remer- emerging from this sort of coma and, you know, deciding that I sort of wanted to learn a little bit about what I'd missed. And it took me a while to fully integrate. I think I'm fully integrated now. Not that I'm the hippest person, but I kind of pay attention to uh-huh. what's <laughs> <No>. going on. <laughs> the hippest. And um, my, do- my 13-year-old daughter doesn't think I'm that hip. But <laughs> And, and that, honestly, that's a big surprise to me, too, because when I was caregiving, I, I was kind of austere, and I didn't pay attention to that. And, you know, I thought, oh, that's frivolous. Who wants to know about that? And that's not important. And what's important is what I'm doing here with my loved ones. So I had a different focus then, but finding structure is something that I still am working on, Mm -hmm. still evolving in that regard. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how your relationship with your other brother changed post-caregiving? From what I understand, during the time that you were caring for your older brother and your parents, your younger brother was largely checked out and thriving, really. And so my question is, after your mother died, who was the third funeral in four months, How did your relationship with that surviving brother change, if at all? Well, yeah. So I felt sorry for him in a way because I I knew that part of being checked out, he was checked out in part, in part because he was emotionally incapable of going to the depths that he could have gone to. Mm -hmm. It was self-protection. I get that. That was part of it. Part of it was just he was just damn Selfish, self-absorbed, okay? Uh I never doubted, and I still don't doubt that he loved them deeply, but he had no problem, like, taking care of himself. There was just no problem. You know, to an excess, he kind of lives, like, likes to live large and whatever. Right. And so um, I felt sorry for him because I knew his grief was real. He was suffering in a way that I wasn't suffering in because I had left it all out there. You know, I had, had no regrets. And he may have had some. He's never discussed it with me, nor will he. But I know he had some regrets. Hmm. He showed up at my mother's graveside with an entourage of friends to give him a lot of support. Hmm. Meanwhile, I had one friend there to watch my daughter. That's the way I chose. Mm -hmm. But he showed up with his entourage, which made me sort of like, 
kind of do an eye roll kind of thing, uh-huh. you know. But he was broken up. He was broken up at that service. He uh-huh. really was. He loved mm-hmm. my mother dearly. And my mother loved him. She was He was the last child. So to answer your question, in the month after that, he started dating this girl. They got married. The, the wedding was over the freaking top, uh-huh. which pissed me off. Again, coming from struggling, like, how am I going to pay the nurse's aid on Friday to mm. his having this wedding rehearsal outside at the country club and having a drone fly over. During the time um, that you were paying for all of your parents' caregiving and your brother's caregiving expenses, was your younger brother contributing financially? Yeah, he was a to little some bit. extent. Right. He, he would always say to me, and I would sometimes I would fret, i go, oh, my God. I go, what if we run out of money and we have to put him in a home? And he would look at me in the eye and he would say, that will never happen. And he meant it. But he, again, he continued to sort of live this life. So they had this over-the-top kind of wedding. I didn't get a dress till the last minute. The only dress I could find really was this black dress. And, and I was like, I don't care. I'm wearing this. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Ooh, black at the wedding. How soon after your mom's death did Let's he get see. married? My mom passed away in March of... 2013. And he got married in October of 2016. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so a, few, a few years have passed. passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but you were still bitter. <laughs> I was still bitter. Yeah, I was still bitter. And, and then after my brother died, I went to his house. And he was like redoing the deck with like really nice paper. And new landscaping. And I'm like, you know, there's a wall at our parents' house that could be fixed. And like, Uh (laughs) it's just, he doesn't get it. It's like a chip missing, you know? I still think he has a chip missing. Something, he's like the one that doesn't belong in our family. You know what I mean? But you know what, Jana? I have to tell you, I've evolved. So all these years later, you've evolved in your relationship with the brother who didn't do so much? No question about it. Yeah. No question. As a practical, and this this is important, I think, to listeners. As a practical matter... He's all I have besides my daughter. He is it, right? So for better or for worse, he is it. I'm flawed. He's flawed. But this is it, right? Yeah. And then I realized he is it. So that's point number one. And number two, I may have expanded my family. I mean, it sounds normal, right? So any normal person would say, yeah, you know, somebody in the family, your loved one gets married. You now have a bigger family, but it took me a while to really understand, and I'm still not quite there in terms of before I would never call on my sister-in-law, I would say my brother's wife, and now I find myself saying my sister-in-law, they have game night, board game night at their house, we haven't been so far just for scheduling reasons, but I'm more open to it. I know he brings her to my my parents' grave, Mm -hmm. you know? That's nice. You've Uh, let go of some of the harder feelings that you were grappling with with him. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. Okay. Before we go, I want to ask if there's anything else that you'd like to talk about that we didn't talk about or any last thoughts that you have about life after caregiving. Yes. I want to say emphatically to everybody who's caregiving that there is life after caregiving. And joy comes in the morning, you know, even if you're Mm -hmm. going through the dark of night you must know that the night will pass and there will be a dawn and to not give up hope this is just a phase it's a phase you will be a stronger person as a result of your caregiving you will be a better person as a result of your caregiving and your soul will be restored and the universe will reward you will reward you for having done what you've done to care for your loved ones so keep the faith 
We've been speaking with attorney Andrea McMillan, former caregiver to her parents and a brother, and currently caring for her 13-year-old daughter and herself. Andrea, thank you so much for being on the show and for following up with us on your journey. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks, Andrea. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Gina. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. In the meantime, if you don't want to miss any episodes, head on over to agewise.com. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z, or Z, as my Canadian mother says, and subscribe to the podcast. And hey, while you're there, use our search feature to find and have a listen to episodes where guests talk about issues of specific interest to you. Chances are, whatever caregiving challenge you're facing, we've interviewed someone who's gone through a very similar situation. You'll get tips, find links to useful information, and best of all, you'll feel less alone. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.